0: This is Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. Good
1: morning to you. Let's start the week off again. Let's kick it off Monday, the 18th of February 2019. It's Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. My name is Arabile Gumede. Nastasia Aronsa, good morning.
2: Good morning. You've got an extra spring in your step. What's happening?
1: Uh, nothing much except uh, Manchester United playing Chelsea, but that's besides the point. <clears throat>
2: uh, okay, because I could tell the tone of your voice is slightly <clears throat> different. A
1: little bit more excitement, a little spring in the step. It's also Monday, so why not?
2: Okay, nonetheless, hopefully we'll continue with... Um this mood throughout the week. But nonetheless, so we're going to be talking about IPPs and that's because we've had the likes of Kassatu and Numsa and various uh, other uh, unions saying that they want government and ESCOM to suspend the multi-billion rand uh, independent power producer contract. They're saying that these contracts are draining ESCOM and only benefit a few. So we're going to try to clear some misconceptions here and and talk to Thomas Garner, who's the chairperson of the South African Independent Power Producers Association, to find out our IPPs are really getting flack over ESCOM unnecessarily so.
1: Yeah, and uh, Tash, it is going to be a little difficult to maintain the mood, uh, and that's purely because we have budget as well coming up this week, and it's going to be uh, perhaps a dreary picture. A little bit more is going to be said around ESCOM. So we'll unpack just a little bit more about that. But also, there are new measures uh, you know, put in place from the 1st of February that are meant to bring a little more order to strike action. So we're going to unpack those a little bit as well at around uh, 20 past 7. Just about if this is a welcome step, really, eliminating violent and damaging strikes we'll talk about that as well
2: and multi-choice is set to list so we'll speak to Hilton Tarrant about the bull and bear case for multi-choice they are listing on the 27th of February that's next week Wednesday so we'll have that conversation a little bit later on on the show
1: yeah and uh, of course uh, the uh, uh, speaking about that another blow for SAA another state-owned enterprise com air now having to be paid around 1.1 billion Rand and that that's going to be a massive blow. Taxpayers are bound to be the ones that are going to suffer the most because of it. We'll get into that. And of course, globalization, how that has hit a record high. All that and more coming up between now and eight o'clock. Let's get into it. This is your Monday edition of Classic Business Breakfast with Moneyweb.
0: This is Classic Business. Breakfast with Money Web. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronser on Classic 1027.
2: Five minutes after seven, the mainland Chinese markets gained in early trade, the Shanghai composite jumping around one point one percent, while the Shenzhen component rose one point two percent. Hong Kong's Hangsang index also gained in positive It's sitting in positive territory right now, 1.4% in the green. The Nikkei jumped 1.7% in morning trade. And looking at things in the U.S. on Friday, the Dow Jones jumped 443 points to 25,883 as JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs outperformed. The S&P 500 gained 1.1% led by the energy and industrial sectors. The Nasdaq advanced 0.6% to end the day at 7,472. Points in Europe, the FTSE 100 was up seven tenths of percent, the French CAC up 1.7, and uh, the German DEX up 1.7 percent as well. And over here, the all share index gained, um, I suppose this is 0.1 percent, yes, 0.1 percent to 54,628, and the top 40 rose 0.2 percent. This is
0: classic business breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027.
1: As we do on a Monday, Greg Davies, head of, Cap- head of wealth at Kratos Capital, joining us in studio. 3.7% lost when it comes to the Rand against the US dollar in one week. Here's a story we haven't heard in a while just the weakening of South Africa's currency to uh, beyond 14 Rand against the US dollar. That has begun to hurt a little bit more. And the fears about the Rand coming all the way back to the markets, eh, Greg? Yeah, it was all about Eskom last week and
3: the, the load shedding, which everyone experienced uh, You know, with the rain and everything, made everyone a little bit miserable. And uh, the plans to rescue Eskom don't seem to be that clear, really. So what I noticed in the market was a shift in thinking, really. The, uh, as Tash was saying, the all-share index is 54,628. So that's um, year-to-date time. But the stocks which were driving that move were stocks which were – depend on a weakening RAND. Something like Richmond moved from around 97 to over 102 RAND, and of Bush, SAPI, and all the resource counters were, were dri- driving the market higher. For once, it wasn't nice NASPASS, uh, which was slightly underperformed on the week. So, the market discounting a future where the RAND is going to be weaker. I do see it's around 14.05 today, so that is a recovery from the worst levels of 14.20, but I think that's going to be a theme going forward this
1: year. Yeah, that's going to be a bit tough, though, for the RAND. I mean, we we're looking at it for some resilience but I suppose with the U.S. coming back in and, and sort of uh, bolstering its way through, we're always going to face a sense of weakness. Where do we get our sense of strength from? Though? Where, do we, where do we try to find our own uh, better territory when it comes to this uh, local currency? Or is it just going to be a case of, you know, awaiting uh, more from, from the United States the whole year round?
3: Yeah, we're going to depend on what the, the Fed does. But I think the things which could save us, if I can put it that way, is a commodity ship a boom. We haven't seen iron ore having making record moves up, but if, if gold, platinum, palladium... Uh, copper and so on
1: can, can, can continue to move higher than that can pr- protect the local economy yeah it's going to be a tough one to put out there as well so we saw a couple of, a couple of earnings results as well last week and it was a, a little tough you know for for the the gold miners and they seem to be having a torrid time but the PGM space is doing fairly well yes I mean um Sabanya
3: Gold gave us a trading update. It is giving results this week. But the the effect of that palladium price, the palladium price in dollar terms is up 37% over the last 12 months. So a share like Sabanya has gone from a low this year of around 980 up to about 1470. Uh, On the gold side, I'm sure you're referring to gold fields there, Mm. still struggling
1: to get to the the bottom, excuse the pun, uh, Mm -hmm. of the uh, south deep situation. Mm. So here we go. Here's a set of earnings as well to expect this week. We have Woolworths' interim results, right? And of course, they had an, their January trading update. They reported that sales were going to go up 1.9% uh, as well and, and predicted that they probably grew around 2.7% in constant currencies. Woolworths has received a recent big hammering because of David Jones and as well just a, a little shakiness with regards to that business. How much more worthwhile is that stock price right now? Do you, do you see a game beyond 50 Rand? It's, it seems like a very difficult mark for them to pass right now.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a sad situation because Woolies is a, a much loved brand here in South Africa, and they were going along fine. They didn't; they were dominating the sort of high end grocery market sector, and then they decided to go and buy a company called David Jones there in Australia, trying to expand their their product. You know, to make money for for shareholders. Effectively, looks like they completely overpaid. Whichever strategy they're putting into place um, d- doesn't seem to work. Um, The share price of Willie's all-time highs run about 102 Rand. I think it's about 46 Rand
1: at the moment. So um, that negative news uh, affecting shareholders for sure. Yeah. Uh, And and you have another one. You even have the likes of Truids coming out as well. They have interim results that are expected out as well this week. And here's the big one, Anglo-American PLC. And I say that only because that comes out today. Uh, Well, Anglo-Platinum, excuse me, I think comes out today, if I'm not mistaken. The likes of Kumba Iron Ore tomorrow. And then I think it's Wednesday then that we'll then see Anglo-American put out its full results. And you have BHP Bulletin. So it's a big earnings week this week, eh?
3: Yeah, the heavyweights on, on the mining side, the resource counters, Anglos, I think Glencore as well on, on Wednesday. So it's going to be a big week for that. Um, we have to see how they're keep, keeping costs under control. I think Anglo-American is on, on, on Thursday, so the market will be watch, oh. watching that closely.
1: Yeah, uh, some of the other earnings, Discovery Holdings, Adcock, Ingram as well, Anglo-Gold Ashanti glencore as you mentioned northern platinum into properties all of those set to release earnings as well this week so it's going to be uh, quite an interesting one to to put out uh, on the international front we're still dealing of course with that uh, uh, the the china u.s trade talks in that situation and that scenario just keeps on giving but almost gives nothing so to speak always a sense of optimism and then nothing this week we're supposed to get talks between the u.s and china again to try and find a resolution is the market a bit tired? Are we now sort of traded out, if I can call it that?
3: Yeah, we well, get nothing out of it other than headlines for journalists to write, really. But I'm um, looking at the Dow, p- powered over 400 points higher on Friday, kind of unexpectedly. So the market... Going a little bit optimistic on, on, on China-U.S. Uh, trade relations. And
1: um, that, that probably will push the J.C. higher this morning. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep checking out on that. Anything else in particular you'll be watching out for for the remainder of the week? I mean, outside of those earnings results, of course, it is a, a big deal, right, to, to be looking at those.
3: Yeah, plenty, plenty of earnings, but obviously all eyes on the on the budget speech Wednesday. Mm. I'm looking out for you know new taxes that they're going to probably have to add. But I'm just really hoping that they've come up with some
1: some interesting strategies to
3: deal with SAA,
1: Eskom, and so on. Yeah, we keep asking new strategies. I mean, has it not all just been a whole a whole lot about finding new strategies, new talk shops, new ways to communicate, but? the action just seems to be the one thing that's faltering we still have the same scenario at saa where they're looking for this turnaround strategy it doesn't feel like it's been put in place because the ceo keeps on complaining that things aren't happening as they should and there was even a chance that he might have left not so long ago so are we even heading in the right direction here it was actually uh, an SAA
3: story which came out uh, late on uh, Friday. It's on the front page of the Business Day today that uh, they lost uh, competition, uh, uh, a competition case against Comi, so they owe now they owe Comi a, a billion rand. Well, in other words, I uh, uh, our taxpayers owe Comey a, a billion rand, and I mean Comey's market cap is only two billion, so it's it's massive for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the twin, so the SAA just keeps get, getting deeper and deeper. The truth is, you need job cuts at both Eskom and SAA, but ahead of the elections, it doesn't look like
1: that will happen. Well, I don't think that'll happen for. for- Almost ever, if you want to call it that, really, because I mean that that really would be counterproductive for any government institution, right? So it becomes extremely difficult for them to even think that way. But you mentioned, as we mentioned, Comair, 47 years odd of consistent and persistent gains and and profits for the company. That just shows you what you can do with a lean and meaner machine. Just how you can you can service a bigger uh, you know a bigger proportion of the country if you wanted to. Just doing the right kind of thinking, perhaps. Yes, I
3: mean, good strategy there. and I'm just looking on the list. Yet. is actually reporting results on, on Tuesday, Kome. So uh, it's probably been a good week for them with a, with a billion rand windfall and now p- probably another good set of results on Tuesday. But the share price did react. I think it moved uh, from around 4 rand 50 to about 5 rand 50. But the news broke late on Friday. I think
1: that share price will continue to climb today. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to uh, watch out for all of those sentiments. As we said as well, it is budget as well on Thursday. So it's going to be an interesting toss-up there the most important and significant element will probably be uh, around escom just a quick note there that the gauteng government seems to be a little peeved off as well though that uh, etols were not mentioned when it comes to president cyril Ramaphosa's state of the nation address so they would like to get uh, a little bit of a word regarding that they are deeply disappointed as the word says that president cyril ramaphosa did not announce a scrapping to the ETOL. So, all that and a whole lot more to watch out for as well in this coming week, particularly around ESCOM.
0: This is Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027.
2: It's 15 minutes after 7. Cosatu and other various um, unions want government and ESCOM to suspend the multi-billion rand independent power producer contract. The Trade Union Federation said that the contracts are draining the institution and only benefit a few. To gain more clarity on the role of IPPs at ESCOM, we're joined on the line by Thomas Gardner, who's the chairperson of the South African Independent Power Producers Association. Thomas, thank you so much for your time Let's talk about some of the grievances that the unions are expressing with regards to the role of the IPPs. Are they correct in saying that, you know, they are to be blamed for ASCOM's troubles?
4: I uh, no, that's absolutely not true. And I think uh, very clearly the IP's role is to, is to play a role in generating cleaner energy uh, and bringing in private capital to do that, relieving the, uh, uh, the drain on the fiscus, and assisting in diversifying the energy mix over time so that we can start living in the future and not in the past.
2: Perhaps for those who don't know how ESCOM really operates, maybe you can briefly explain how IPPs play a role in ESCOM and what exactly you do.
4: So ESCOM uh, as a vertically integrated monopoly is actually a dinosaur of the apartheid uh, government. It is at that time. It was a good model to have a vertically integrated uh, utility, and it consists of typically generation, and then transmission and distribution. Uh, the system operator sits in transmission, and is responsible to make sure that we balance the grid, and that we balance supply and demand. The IPPs deliver energy. Uh, that's non-dispatchable and that's energy that when it's available it is dispatched and when it's not let's say the wind doesn't blow the sun doesn't shine it is not dispatched um, so in the last few years the IPPs have played a massive role in adding terawatt hours to the grid in an e- in an era where there wasn't enough energy so if we didn't have IPPs last week uh, stage loads six Uh, For load shedding would have become stage load shedding, or we would have had a a massive blackout. Um, I also need to add that um, the opportunity cost of not having energy is much more than the cost of IPPs.
2: Right. The unbundling of uh, ESCOM, does it affect you in any way?
4: Yes, absolutely. And um, the unbundling of ESCOM is something that should have happened. Should have happened a long time ago. It was also part of the energy white paper, as adopted by the ANC and the government in 1998. Uh, but unfortunately, because uh, the politicians wanted their, their hand in the till, they didn't. They didn't move on this. Um, the unbundling will ensure that the system operator and the transmission lines um, uh, can be used to. to buy electricity from the cheapest source so then all the IPPs and the current ESCOM generation fleet will be able to compete on an uh, uh, half an hour hour basis per day where every half an hour or every hour is this day ahead market where you look at uh, the demand and the supply and you actually dispatch the right quality of energy at the right time and at the right price so that will unlock uh, competition And it will ensure that we can move to the future. By the way, um, the the renewable energy from IPPs in any new build scenario will be much cheaper than any of of the new builds that ESCOM can build in terms of coal or nuclear.
2: Thomas, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time. That's Thomas Gardner, who's the chairperson of the South African Independent Power Producers Association. Time to have a look at traffic.
0: Classic 1027 Traffic Update
5: Right, in central Johannesburg, the M2 westbound, there's queuing traffic between Joe Slovo Drive and the Crown Interchange. In Fairland, the N1 northbound, that earlier stationary vehicle near the Bears no Drive exit has been cleared, but there's still queuing traffic after that as a result. Marlborough North, Marlborough Drive westbound, very heavy traffic towards South Road. In four ways, William Nickel Drive, the traffic lights are not working at the intersection with Broad Acres Drive, but there are pointsmen to assist you. Same thing in North Riding, Malibongwe Drive and Epsom Avenue there are pointsmen to assist you. Let's take a look at Machalisich Main Road. Traffic lights are not working at the intersection with Witkopen Road but there are traffic pointsmen to assist you. In Northcliffe, Bears Nodir Drive, traffic lights out at the intersection with Milner Avenue. Expect delays in that area. And in Soweto, the Soweto Highway, the traffic lights are not working at Kayla Drive. In Midrand, Garden Road southbound, very heavy traffic towards Eighth Road. In Centurion, N14, road works with traffic restrictions between the R55 Pretoria West Exit and the N1 Bruckfontein Interchange. And in Pretoria, traffic lights not working at the intersection with Sophie de Brain and Struben Street. There are pointsmen to assist you there. N4 eastbound, heavy traffic towards the Port Plaza. And Atterbury Road westbound, very heavy traffic towards Justice Mohammed Street. Rania Road southbound, very heavy traffic towards Vamhagen Street. And more traffic for you in about 20 minutes' time.
0: Traffic update on Classic 1027. This is Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb arabile gomede and nastasia aransa
1: on classic 1027 it's just gone 721 let's get into a, another story now here's an interesting one there are new measures to bring orders, uh, order to strike action there's a new code of good practice governing various aspects of strike action which came into effect on the first of january this year that's 2019 it is a welcome step towards eliminating violent and damaging strikes but is it effective and will it remain uh, be put into practice now in the past five years south africa's mining industry has faced perhaps some of the most prolonged and violent strikes and one could say even longer than that for example of course the five-month strike in the platinum sector uh in 2014 of course the likes of marikana as well having happened uh you've obviously right now got sibania Stillwater and their gold mines which have seen uh, about three people as well having been killed. So the wage increase story, those, those strikes in the mining sector just continue to be affected. Let's chat to uh, Lizelle Lowe, who is a partner, an employment law specialist at Weber Wenzel. Thank you so much for your time this morning and good morning to you, Lizelle. Uh, let's talk just about, you know, the, the, you know, this good practice or new code that has been put into practice. Uh, what actually, what, what does it say?
6: Good morning, thank you. It's nice to be here. The Code of Good Practice is not law. Um, it is, however, an instrument provided to the judges of the Labour Court to look at and to guide them uh, when they interdict strikes um, and, and look at strike law. Uh, so, what it says, it, it is a welcome step, as you've said, to bring a bit more balance to strike law. Mm. And um, it was, it, it originated from a NEDLAC in 2014 after the five month platinum strike, which you mentioned, where all stakeholders in the industry got together um, and supports this. So it, it is a step in the right direction. Um, it remains to be seen how effective it is. Um, if you ask, what does it say? It addresses three important things. First of all, balloting, second pickets, and then thirdly, advisory arbitration. Balloting uh, employers wanted an absolute secret ballot of union members before a union calls for a strike. Um, the code does not provide for an absolute secret ballot. Um, what our law does is that it forces a union to have provision for a ballot in its constitution in order for it to get registered. But if they don't have that ballot, you can't you can't interdict the strike. Now that is that is important because a lot of times employers feel that unions call for strikes but the strikes not supported by the members. Um, so that is why there was a call that there must be a ballot before strikes, but it did not find its way ultimately into the code. Um then quickly on pickets and advisory arbitrations on pickets. Um there's various ways in which picketing rules can be established now. Um and again, um what employers would have wanted is that If there is a contravention of the picketing rules that the strike could be interdicted, the code does not go that far. Uh, The code says that the Labour Court can interdict the picket, not the actual strike, if there's non-compliance. And then lastly, there's something very interesting on advisory arbitration. Um, The LRA now provides that the director of the CCMA can appoint an advisory arbitration panel in certain circumstances, for example, where the strike becomes protracted, violent, and it no longer fits with the purposes of um, collective bargaining. The only thing, though, is um, which brings us back to the point how effective this code will be, is the award issued is not binding unless both parties accept it. So yeah, absolutely, step in the right direction, um, but a little bit ineffective still, I think, to bring complete balance
1: to strike So it's going to take a while then to get it completely right, then, right? Because you know it, it perhaps continues to be a work in progress. We've just gotten Mining Charter 3.0, which is said to perhaps help and add some sense of stability as well to South Africa's mining sector. You add this to the mix as well, and it perhaps gives people assurances that things are moving in the right direction. But because we don't have a final answer in with regards to this. One as well. Do you think it delays the investment in South Africa's mining sector? Do you think it delays the confidence in South Africa's mining sector, which continues to dwindle and still, you know, makes up a big proportion of South Africa's GDP, around eight percent or so?
6: Yeah, I think I think that must be right. But I, I must also emphasise that I do think it really is a good step in the right direction. Um, I, I think ultimately it will boost investor confidence because investors see that something is being done, there is a move um, um, towards balancing the situation when it comes to, to strikes and so forth. Our mining industry is unfortunately plagued not just by issues of labour, um, you know, but a whole lot of other issues as well on health and safety, output, automation, those kinds of things. But yeah, ultimately, I think it's a positive change.
1: You make note in in. in um There's a note here as well, just particularly with regards to the contrast in things that have happened in South Africa's mining industry compared to the rest of the world. Between 2007 and 2017, mining output in South Africa has fallen 8%, while employment in the mining sector as well has dropped 6%. In the same period, Australia's output has grown by 70%, and its mining employment has risen by 54%. Similarly, in Chile, output grew 2% unemployed or employment in the in the sector growing 42%. Now yes we face various and different sort of aspects with regards to mining you know between the three countries but surely that sets a standard for where we should be going as probably one of the the countries with the highest mineral deposits still sitting in our in our very earth
6: no, absolutely. Look, we must go up. We must improve. We must improve our output and we must sort out our employment. Because as you say, if you look at countries like Australia and Chile, which is very comparable to us with regards to mineral resources, that is exactly where we should be and should be heading. And I, and I do think the change in legislation, even though a little bit toothless at the moment, might just be a step in the right, in the right direction.
1: Is there a continued conversation around this though right now? I know the you know the 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 code has then been put in place, um and you know it it's sort of a code and it feels a little bit more like uh in, in you know in accounting terms, the likes of King Three or now they're gonna go into King Four, et cetera and whatnot, that, you know, you ultimately have to you, you can apply this. You don't have to, but it obviously stands you in good stead if you do. Um if we get this right, you know, you start moving in 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 the right direction. Do you do you sense that there's a continued communication to make this more a law than just a sense of good practice and a code?
6: I think so, and and I think there really is a continued conversation because I don't know if you recall just before the mining in Darba, I think on the first day of the mining in Darba, uh, undertaking was released signed by all stakeholders in the mining industry government, business, and labor, um, wherein they again affirm their commitment to industrial peace, um, to bargaining in good faith when it comes to bargaining for wages and so forth. And the timing was right. It was released on the first day of the Indaba, all with the intention to boost Investor confidence. So is there a continued conversation? Absolutely. Um, when the content of the conversation will become law, I don't know. But the fact that there is a code of good practice that our courts will take into account, um, I think um, stands in good stead at the moment.
1: Lizelle, thank you so much for your time this morning. Hopefully it really does stand us in good stead and move uh, strike law into a more balanced and an and effective way for both parties you know to to reach some sort of settlement as well and help the entire industry which needs both the workers and uh, the companies as well as Low is partner and employment law specialist at Weber Wenzel that story there will be quite an interesting one to look out for and see how it then comes into a good practice and whether the practice is followed through by not just unions by by mining companies as well because it all happens only in good faith your news headlines.
0: Classic 1027 news headlines.
6: With your headlines at 7.30, good morning. I'm Nukwazi Kumbisa. Public Enterprises Minister Pravan Gordhan says it's time that law enforcement agencies take action against those implicated in state capture. Government departments will now screen the social media posts of potential employees before hiring them. And Nigeria's Electoral Commission has announced a new date for the presidential elections following their decision to postpone the elections at the last minute. Looking at your temperatures this hour, Pretoria 14 to 28 degrees, Johannesburg 13 to 26, Vereeniging 12 to 26, Cape Town 19 to 27, and Durban 18 to 26 degrees. We'll be back with the next news update at 8.
0: More news in half an hour on Classic 1027. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Arensa on Classic Business. Breakfast with Moneyweb.
2: At 7.31, NASPRO announced last year, September, that it plans to list uh, multi-choice separately on the JSE. Hilton Tarrant, who is a MoneyWeb contributor, has written an article on MoneyWeb titled The Bear and Bull Case for MultiChoice." Intro to the article goes something like this. The bear case for multi-choice is fairly well understood and perhaps even accepted by the market. And the man himself joins us on the line. Hilton, perhaps let's start off by looking at the bear case for multi-choice. What does it look like?
7: Good morning, Ms. Natasha. Well, uh, the bear case, uh, uh, as I argued in the article, and I mean, this is quite common when when you are standing around the braai or out with drinks uh, with friends, um, is that people are deserting DSTV uh, in droves. Everyone you speak to has, uh, in inverted commas, canceled their subscription um, in favor of Netflix. And that's that's pretty much the broad market perception of, of where DSTV, which is multi-choices, Uh, primary asset finds itself uh, in 2019
2: right when it comes to Netflix I mean a lot of people I talk to in fact I think everyone in the studio has a subscription to Netflix is Netflix really the big competition for Naspers or is it uh, or not even Naspers for multi-choice or is it a case where multi-choice has assets or parts of the business that sort of I suppose stand out against Netflix
7: well, it certainly is competition. I mean, if, if you look at uh, you know the, the the you know the core the core part of this this argument uh, that I put forward on, on Friday, and that really revolves around attention. We've only got so many hours in a day. We've only got so many hours of those hours that we'll devote to to watching TV, whether that's DSTV catch up, whether that's normal linear TV uh, on DSTV, or whether it's something like Netflix. Uh, where, where young people typically binge uh, binge watch entire uh, you know, seasons of, of, of series over a weekend, so it certainly is competition. But what what one needs to ask is is whether Netflix is replacing DSTV or whether Netflix is additive. Um, so you know many people will have Netflix, but they'll still watch sport on DSTV, for example. Um, and, and that we're kind of seeing that trend play out, uh, Multichoice itself has disclosed the number of premium subscribers that it has lost over the past two financial years. And that number was 100,000 two years ago. Last year they managed to narrow that to 40,000 um, and one can easily argue that that base is pretty stable right now. I mean, if you were going to cancel, next, uh, cancel the SUV in favor of something else, you've probably done so already.
2: Right. And in terms of the, uh, I suppose, DSTV, Compact and the other one, I mean, they still have some good subscriber numbers there, I'm assuming, because if your premium numbers are not, well, they're dropping, but not everybody is sort of running away from, you know, DSTV to get Netflix, your market is still the the Compact Plus and those who have, uh, I think, access as well.
7: Exactly. And the kind of mid-market and, and mass market, which it turns. I mean, that's that's really almost 80% of the subscriber base. Uh, that's your DSTV Compact, your DSTV Access, your DSTV Family. Uh, you know, the lower end packages. And, and as you correctly say, that is the portion of the market that is still growing. Um, the only part of the market that's, that is struggling is, is that premium uh, segment. Um, and overall, subscriber numbers are growing. So, I mean, DSTV uh, at the end of uh, September last year had 7.2 million active subscribers. Uh, and there was 300,000 more than just six months before that. So that growth is still primarily in, in that kind of mid-market and, and mass market uh, segment. And, and you can kind of, kind of figure out exactly why that is. Because, you know, for something like Netflix, you're going to need access to Wi-Fi, um, probably an an uncapped fiber connection at home, or else you're going to be spending a fair amount of, of disposable income each month um, on, on mobile data. So... You know, at, at 400 bucks a month or, you know, 385 rand a month for DSTV Compact, it's an awful lot of entertainment for for, for for that product.
2: But MultiChoice isn't exactly sitting on the sidelines. I mean, they've been trying to push uh, people to get onto ShowMax and DSTV now and start using the streaming services where you can literally watch um, any show from, you know, the comfort of your laptop without necessarily being home. So is that enough to still keep, uh, you know, keep them competitive especially when it comes to the titles that they have the movie titles because there i do know that there are some rights that netflix doesn't have access to when it comes to movies but i've noticed uh dstv has those rights
7: yeah so dstv will always have uh you know very strong local rights because what they'll tend to do is tie up um the the tv rights with the digital rights uh for, for for a number of series and that's why Uh, Netflix in South Africa probably has a, well, not probably. It it definitely has a more limited catalog than than Netflix in other regions. Uh, I think the mistake people make is thinking that Showmax and and DSTV Now, which allows you to catch up uh, content uh, or watch live TV on the go, um, are are offensive moves. Where I would argue very strongly that they are very much offensive moves and are designed and and put in place to kind of keep its existing subscriber base um, happy, Um, and that's. That's really the lens that one needs to look at this through. Um, as, as you say, the catalog is not, is not enormous. Um, you know, uh, Showmax has a, a handful of original content that it's produced, uh, whereas, you know, Netflix, we all know, has got hundreds and hundreds of original titles. Uh, but I think the, you know, the, the core value um, in something like Showmax is that it has, you know, all the local content that, that uh, Multi Choice spends billions on each year.
2: And in terms of the regulatory scrutiny that uh, multi-choice is facing, what does it entail?
7: So there, I mean, there are questions being asked by the regulator, ICASA, about things like exclusive sports rights. Uh, we saw an extension um, regarding submissions uh, in, in recent weeks. And, and all the broadcasters are kind of looking at this very carefully and, and obviously have to submit um, their points of view to, to ICASA. Uh, you know, exclusive sports rights, the model is quite well understood globally. Um, and, and for, you know, a regulator to try and look at sports rights and, and try and enable, um, you know, uh, sporting matches or sporting codes to be available on free-to-air TV, I mean, the model just breaks down. Um, you know, multi-choice will be the first to admit that it spends, you know, billions, hundreds of billions um, every few years on On developing sport and creating sports products um, across the continent not just uh, here in South Africa and you know that 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 all stands or that all is at risk um, with with the kind of um, effort that the is um, trying to make here around around regulating that exclusivity and you know there are there are other question marks around whether um, these two things should be in the same business so should Should multi-choice and DSTV as well as Supersport all be in the same business or should Supersport be set up separately um, and, you know, allowing all sorts of broadcasters um, or, you know, uh, an entity like Netflix to to actually, you know, bid for those rights and, and, you know, in effect, try and stimulate competition in that market?
2: Right. Hilton, we'll have to leave it there. That's Hilton Tarrant, who's a MoneyWeb contributor. You can find his article on the MoneyWeb uh, site. It is titled The Bear and Bull Case for Multi-Choice. Are really hundreds and billions. That's a lot of money on sports and you are loving it. So here's the question. Do you have Netflix as an add-on and is it... The only reason that you have it as an add-on is because you can't separate yourself from sports. Meaning that the only reason yep. you turn your DSTV yep. on is for sports. Yep.
1: So during the weekend, my TV actually does not leave channels 200 to 211. Oh God! So between 200 and 211, like my remote does not move. Even when friends come over, we're watching something along those lines. During the week, we can fluff about <laughs> and find something else. But weekend, my TV is not moving off that dial.
2: Alright, let's have a look at traffic
0: classic 1027 traffic update
5: it's just before 20 to 8 and let's take a look at the roads fairland n1 northbound the earliest stationary vehicle near the bears Nodir drive exit has been cleared but they're still queuing traffic in the area in boysons boysons road northbound heavy traffic between clip drive and the cbd in lone hill the lone hill boulevard eastbound very heavy traffic towards main road In Babsfontein, the R50, there are roadworks with traffic restrictions between Babsfontein and the N12 highway. In El Road, Heidelberg road westbound, queuing traffic towards Verinniging Road. Rosebank, Oxford Road. The traffic lights are not working at the intersection with Jellicoe Avenue, but there are pointsmen to assist you. And Bromhoff, CR Swart Drive. Traffic lights not working at Tin Road. Expect delays in that area. Lots of traffic lights out. Please approach all intersections with caution. Bryanston, Maid Road. The traffic lights are not working at the intersection with Main and Sloan Street. There are pointsmen to help you there. And in Brom- Bromhoff, Hans Skommon Street. Traffic lights not working at Ostrich Road. Expect delays in that area. Across in Midrand, Fintaine Road eastbound, very heavy traffic between Blue Hills and the N1 Highway. And Barbecue Downs R55 southbound, heavy traffic between Blue Hills and Barbecue Downs. Same thing in Tarragalorn Drive southbound, very heavy traffic towards Allendale Road. Centurion N14, remember those roadworks with traffic restrictions between the R55 Pretoria West Exit and the N1 Bruckfontein Interchange, causing queuing traffic in that area. And in Centurion, John Foster Drive both ways, queuing traffic towards Lenshin Avenue. Pretoria, Souter Street, the road has been closed near Elson Street due to a large pothole. Please use alternative routes. That's your traffic. I'll have more for you just after the 8 o'clock news.
0: Traffic update on Classic 1027 Every morning, Arabile Goumede and Nastasia Aransa on Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb
1: it's just gone 7.41, well, 7.42 right now. So um, SAA was found guilty of anti-competitive conduct between 1999 and 2005. Uh, uh, that's uh, according to competition authorities then. Um, and uh, now SAA has to foot the bill on a 1.1 billion rand uh, basically fine that they have to fork out uh, and pay their rival Com in order to settle what has been a decade-old competition case with uh, taxpayers. Most likely having to foot the bill. It's another blow now for SAA. Suren Naidu, web contributor, joining us on the line. This is a massive deal now for for SAA. Already cash-strapped. They haven't released earnings uh, for their 2017-2018 financial year. Things just keep going from bad to worse for South Africa's SOEs. And now SAA joining the mix as usual, shall we say. Suren, good morning. How are you doing?
8: Good morning. Um, Good morning to the listeners. Um, Yes, it's um, it's another blow for SAA uh, and uh, windfall for Comair. I think it's almost double its market cap. So, uh, uh, in another way, it could be a triple whammy because Comair is likely to use that money to boost its um, its fleet and and will probably have further competition for SAA. You must remember, Comair has been profitable for decades. So quite a situation that SAA finds itself in uh, going from bad to worse.
1: Yeah, you mentioned how profitable Comair has been and I think, it, I mean, it's been an absolutely long time that Comair uh, that has maintained those sets of profits. Let's talk about exactly what happened. How did we get to this case where SAA has needed to pay Comair this 1.1 billion rand? Uh, what is it for exactly?
8: I think it might have started, as you say, in the late 1990s, but the actual case uh, that SAA refers to is from around 2001, 2000 to 2001, and then again from um, like 2002 to 2005. So I think it might be a specific area, uh, time. But uh, essentially SAA uh, went to travel agents and asked them to basically uh, incentivize them to, to, to... rather choose s a a over its competition, and um you know the the competition authorities saw this as as competitive uh, anti competitive behavior, and I think they ruled uh way back then um didn't sit back and they took it quite seriously because they said it hurt its its uh, potential revenues and decided to take uh s a a to to court and there's been several cases over the years, as you say it's run over more than 14 years, and uh, there was a decision by the Supreme Court, or the High Court, uh, South County High Court um, uh, in 2017 uh, making judgment. Uh, uh, Both Kobe and SAA appealed it, but it seems things have have, have changed, and uh, there was supposed to be another uh, uh, meeting on Friday, and then uh, Kobe announced it uh, later on Friday that that they've reached deal with SAA. Interestingly enough, we just got an update from SAA, um, comment from SAA, and um, on MoneyWeb. Um, they say that um, um, it's a legacy issue and they want to get over with it and focus on the task at hand. So it's interesting what SAA are now saying. Obviously, it will be a further burden on them and ultimately uh, a burden on the South African tax taxpayer.
1: Yeah, the question becomes: Where do they get the money for for all of this? Uh, have they perhaps have SAA shared any word with regards to that?
8: They haven't. Um, a lot will be. You know, everybody will be looking at the finance minister. Um, Later this month, for the budget speech, and the D.A. interestingly enough has already um, followed up on on the story and and you know basically called for uh, Minister Tito Mowen not to bail out S.A.A. further. But considering what public enterprises has said, um, it's likely that that there will be a further bailout um, if it maintains its line that it won't be privatizing S.A.A.
1: Sure. The, the sentiment, I suppose, then is going to be very interesting to come out of that. Seventy-two years of profits for Comair, and this is just going to keep them going, uh, surely for the sustainable future here. Um, have you have you gotten any word from Comair as well regarding you know whether they you know will will settle uh, you know perhaps give them time to settle this? Is there a, you know a specific timeline regarding this, or is it just mm. you know as as and when SAA brings it?
8: Um, I think it's a, a full a settlement agreement. come uh, hasn't commented to us further in terms of what they will use the money for or anything like that. However, in the same statement on Friday, they did allude to the fact that it will be or, uh, payments will be made over several years. I think the first payment will be the end of February this month, and uh, it will continue in, in batches until around 2022. So... SAA does have a little bit of breathing space there. Um, it, um, yeah, it's interesting because I don't know. You know, one of the questions I would have asked Comair uh, is about um, their decision late last year to stop uh, having their own aircraft being maintained by SAA, uh, where you know SAA will literally lose millions of rand. So. You know, it may be a case that um, you know, with SAA taking a almost a peace pipe approach, um, you know, maybe COMIA would even consider, you know, giving SAA a chance to, to, to reorganize themselves from a SAA technical perspective and and um you know give them business going forward. So, you know, it's a wait and see approach. Um, as I said, the tone from SAA seems to be very much we need to deal with this. We've got new leadership. Um, yes, uh, they didn't go into the specifics around bailouts. Um, I think, uh, you know, the last bailout was in the last uh, midterm budget from the finance minister. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see uh, what dated breath uh, with the next uh, you know the main budget yep. coming up this month
1: going to be an interesting one so Ren, appreciate your time so naidu is a the money web contributor come and now having to receive 1.1 1. 1 billion rand from saa the cash-strapped entity is going to have to fork out that money very very soon this is gonna hurt greg
3: Yeah, look, that's going to be a problem for them. And I mean, that amount of money, that one billion um, is enough to buy one of these new Boeing 767s. So imagine you're running an airline and your biggest competitor buys you one of those brand new out-the-box,
1: still with that fresh airplane smell. Oh man, it certainly—it it just doesn't feel right. Like it, it, you know, something needs to be done. And just they keep scoring these own goals. The entity itself is not doing well. Now they're going to have to fork out 1.1 1. 1 billion rand. They say they want to get it over and done with. So that means that they're looking to pay the money as soon as possible. How? When? You know, with what is going to be all of the questions as well to be to be asked at this point. So it's going to certainly be a, a bit of a difficult one there. All right. So let's take a look at very quickly at uh, some other news-making headlines. South Africa expected to miss their growth projections for 2018. Things looking a little bit glum as well. So South Africa got uh, a 0.3 percent growth, I think it was in uh, 2017, if it, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, you know, the chances now. Uh, It it was, however, of course, revised to 0.6%, but that's that's still very minuscule. Now, the current projections by the likes of Treasury as well as the Reserve Bank are at around 0.7% for 2018, that's last year. Will we get a better figure than that, Greg?
3: yeah like i was saying earlier we, what what the economy here and locally needs is, is a um, commodity price boom which uh, i mean these things are normally cyclical and they normally go for, on for about seven or eight years when they do happen and i think that's that's what will, will pull us out of this obviously we need to work on things like tourism and, and so on which is which is more difficult with the Eskom situation mm. but it's, it's going to be tough times ahead for sure
1: mtn keeps scoring his own goals as well things just get from bad to worse for them, again reiterating their denial that they paid former SA ambassador to Iran Yusuf Saluji, to facilitate the cancellation of Turkcell's Iranian cell phone license. Uh, police, of course, in South Africa arrested Salouji uh, on those graft charges related to the awarding of a cell phone license to MTN after it had initially been given to Turkcell. Now the situation just goes from bad to worse. Now, we've spoken about how that company, MTN, is still fundamentally a good company but these situations just don't help it whether it be in nigeria whether it be in iran or anywhere else on the continent
3: yeah, I mean, I, let me first say I am a, I'm a shareholder of MTN, and I do like this stock, but yeah, it got battered down, it's been t- trading in a tough range sort of between 83 and 88 for the last couple of weeks, and I've been buying at 83 and selling at 88, and making tiny profits and just pushing forward, but uh, the, the fatigue that you have as a shareholder, but every time a news item pops up on your Bloomberg or your MoneyWeb screen, and it's and the name MTN's there, and there's something, this is a, I mean, a tiny thing, that I was, I was reading later on, the guy was reading released on bail of 4,000 rand. I, th- I think his Turk sale guys are are just beavering away to try and get some sort of settlement out of MTN, but, but poor old MTN has been battered from all sides. Yeah, this is
1: not good. It's certainly hurting.
2: So I think it was Gary on Friday who said that uh, the CEO of EOH and the CEO of MTN, after the weeks they've had, they should just meet up over the weekend and have a drink. They, to just they
1: needed a very strong, a support
2: system a strong for each, each other. <laughs> and find out if
3: they had one, actually. <laughs> yeah, there should be a support
2: system of
3: battered CEOs. Yeah.
2: <laughs> But the one thing I really um, liked about the CEO of EOH, who actually used to be at MTN, uh, Mm. Stephen Von Koller, he wrote a letter um, on Friday, an open letter to stakeholders after the shares were, of course, battered last week following the news that Microsoft had terminated two partner agreements with uh, its subsidiary, uh, EOH Mtombo. And the letter was honest. And you can imagine that it's not a very easy letter to write. And I appreciated the communication and you know when I was reading it we he addresses issues around Microsoft and, and various aspects that um you know investors had raised, the concerns that they'd raised. Mm-hmm. It just this is communication one oh one. This is how you speak to people and let them know what's going on as opposed to, you know, leaving it all to sort itself out yeah. and this was a great letter so you can actually have a look at it on techcentral.co.za there is a copy of that uh, letter on the site
1: yeah we'll continue to to check out exactly what's going on there as well and of course um here's a here's a quick question before we get into our next story tash you asked us this off air but i'll ask you now have you ever been to a dunkin donuts
2: no? <laughs> Is no, that a one, bad thing? No
1: wonder it's closing. <laughs> so Grand Parade Investments having to, of course, announce this last week that they're closing down or exiting that Dunkin' Donuts and Baskin Robbins uh, uh, enterprise here in South Africa. Uh, and it could have been actually seen, for, seen as a victory for some activist investors who have long called for the closure of the struggling SA outlets of the U.S. chain. Look, we've had quite a few American brands come to SA, particularly over the last maybe five or so years. Um, not all of them doing as well as some would have expected. The but likes he, of Walker Berry.
2: Yes, but we've been inside a Waka I said it's a really bad thing if neither one of us, all three of us, including Gareth, who is our technical director here. If he hasn't been inside a Baskin Roberts or a Dunkin Donuts. There's something wrong fundamentally.
1: Quickly, let's just do a, a quick head count here. Uh, our producer, Edith, have you been inside a Dunkin' Donuts or a. No, she so says she no. says no. So Tash, you no. haven't either. No, Greg, I haven't, no, no, I haven't. You have?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Gareth has been to
1: a Dunkin' Donuts one just six, yeah. last week. You're the only one that was trying to keep it alive. <laughs> That's one in five people. Okay, so it clearly tells you though the sentiments, right?
2: Well, uh, speaking of sentiments, uh, there have been some strong sentiments around globalization. So DHL published the fifth edition of the Global Connectedness Index at an event that took place in Amsterdam. And to talk to us about the findings of that particular report is Henny Heymans, who is the CEO of DHL Express Sub-Saharan Africa. Henny, thank you so much for your time this morning. Let's talk to us about the key highlights of this uh, release.
7: Thank you very much. I think I think what's important about this release is that it's the first one since we had the Brexit announcement. And I think that gives us a good idea of, of what the impact is all around the world. But I think if I bring it a little bit closer to Africa, it's, it's always good to see that, um, that Africa is, is on there. Mauritius having done the best uh, from a sub-Sahara perspective. And then, of course, that Africa finding itself in the 56th uh, place, uh, which, which means that there's still a lot of, of room for, for improvement for us uh, on the continent. And I guess that's what makes um, this continent very exciting.
2: The one thing I found fascinating was that Mozambique was named as one of the five countries where international flows exceed expectations the most. Why is that?
7: Look, I think there are two things that's driving it. I think that the dust has now settled around the issue Mozambique had around uh, declaring all of its uh, international loans. Uh, and secondly, you know, we should never forget that there's been a tremendous find of gas in the northern parts of Mozambique, which still makes it very attractive. And that means that from an investment perspective and infrastructure, and That'll continue to grow, and therefore you'll see that flow of trade and, and, and labor um, on, on the rise. And What I was saying about Mozambique is I think there's two things. Firstly, the dust has settled around the um, issue around the international loan that wasn't properly declared, and secondly, we shouldn't forget that um, there's a huge find of natural gas in the northern parts of Mozambique, uh, which still makes it very attractive from an investment or an FDI perspective.
2: Right. When it comes to emerging markets and versus developed markets, how do we fare when it, time, when it comes to levels of globalization?
7: Look, still, still a huge room for improvement. If you look at intra-Africa trade, that's sitting around 17%. You look at Europe, that's around 69%. Uh, the Americas in the mid-50s, Asia in the mid-50s. So clearly from that perspective, a lot of room for improvement, and that's certainly where the growth gap lies with, uh, within the African continent.
2: Right. And the outlook, I suppose, for sub-Saharan Africa, what could be the key driver here in order to further the growth potential of the region?
7: Look, I think, I think the, the key should still be on the development of infrastructure. Um, we, we still sit with only 12% of cities in Africa that's connected by one commercial flight uh, a week. Um, and that, that kind of tells the story. Uh, but that's also, again, where the opportunity sits. And, and the opportunity sits around that intra-Africa trade for us a huge opportunity on the continent from that perspective.
2: Henny, thank you so much for your time. This is Henny Heymans, was the CEO of DHL Express Sub-Saharan Africa, talking to us about globalization and the recent uh, DHL interconnectedness report.
0: Finding the perfect SUV
2: is like trying
0: on clothes. You need to find one that fits. One that fits your style, laid-back and adventurous, or luxurious and stylish. One that fits all your family, friends, and pets. One that fits your job description, whether it's MD, mom, or motor enthusiast. One that fits your pocket. So, get to your local Honda dealer for special offers and try on our full Honda SUV range to see which one fits you. Honda. The power of dreams. Join Noteworthy Events and myself, Richard Cock, for another fun-filled Strictly Broadway concert presented at Holy Rosary School's Bishop Shanahan Hall in Edenvale. Two performances only on 9 and 10 March at 3 p.m. It features a full symphony orchestra, eight up-and-coming and well-established operatic and pop artists, an ensemble group, and the Help Macar College Choir. This is a concert experience for the whole family. Tickets available from CompuTicket. For inquiries, contact Lani on 082-940-9001. Every morning, Arabile Gumede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. All
1: right, so very quickly, just before we close out the show, of course, uh, Budget Day is on Thursday, so Finance Minister Dito Bowini said to bring out uh, um, and on Wednesday. Sorry, my my apologies. <laughs> Thank you for that, Greg. Um, so, fears there that tax revenue could have missed uh, estimates by at least 10 billion Rand because corporate and personal income tax collections have slowed.